title of our lesson, New Beginnings, from Genesis chapter 1, and then we're going to go over to Acts chapter 2. We won't spend too much time in Genesis because I want to spend the majority of our time over in Acts, the second chapter. And as we talk about new beginnings, I'll go ahead and put this next slide up here. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit and beginnings, and we'll take a look at creation, and then we'll take a look at the church. And then the three points we want to give consideration to is the Holy Spirit and beginnings. The Holy Spirit brings life to the church, and then for us to pray for the Spirit. Now, I do want to clarify, this is not the only beginnings that the Holy Spirit is involved with, but we're going to take a look primarily at these two. We've been studying the Holy Spirit on Wednesday evenings. And so far, some of the things that we've talked about is the fact that the Holy Spirit is deity, and the Holy Spirit also is a personality, one of the three members of the Godhead, as we sometimes refer to it. The Holy Spirit has been, and when we read from Genesis 1, involved in creation. The Holy Spirit has been involved in revelation. We talked recently about the Holy Spirit and conversion. And before long, we'll be talking about the Holy Spirit and dwelling in us. And we'll be talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit and some other things. And as John mentioned, we're kind of in the middle, about halfway through that study, maybe just slightly more. So I kind of wanted to talk about these things today and see if this won't help kind of tie some of those subjects together, those topics together, as we continue to give consideration to the Holy Spirit and Him as deity, the Holy Spirit as a personality, the Holy Spirit and His work, and what the Holy Spirit does for us. In Genesis 1, I'll read this in just a moment, but it's God created And the earth was formless, and the Spirit hovered. Some translations say the Spirit moved, and we'll look at that a little closer in just a moment. But as we give consideration to the Holy Spirit, I think one of the best things for us to do, and the reason why I go back to Genesis, is because if you're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, you need to go back to the beginning give you a quick illustration. One of my very favorite movies as a kid was The Wizard of Oz. Remember that movie? <laughs> One of my favorite scenes from that movie is there in Munchkin Land. <laughs> and the house has been dropped on the wicked witch. And the good witch from the north, Glinda, <laughs> has showed up and she's going to send Dorothy off to the Emerald City. But Dorothy's a little bit confused and she doesn't know exactly where to begin. And so Glenda says, well, I've always found that the best place to begin is at the beginning. So that's kind of what we want to do as we give consideration to the Holy Spirit. First noticed from the beginning. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hoovering over the face of the waters. One translation says, 
as I read from, New King James, the Spirit hoovered over. Another translation says that the Spirit moved. And kind of both of those concepts are contained there in that particular verse. And that's why different translators translate that various ways, trying to get across what was actually taking place there. What's the concept? Some translators also refer to, or commentators I should say, also refer to Deuteronomy the 32nd chapter. And I think that's a good reference and kind of helps us to understand what's going on there in Genesis 1 and verse 1 because in Deuteronomy the 32nd chapter it says as the eagle stirs and whenever that word stirs is used there, it means like to open their eyes or to awaken. And so it says, as the eagle stirs up its nest, hoovers over its young, spreading out its wings. And then in verse 12, it says, so the Lord led him. The him there is Jacob, or more correctly or completely understood, is Israel. That's a part of the song of Moses. And it's talking about what God did for Israel when they were traveling with Him and through the wilderness. The eagle stirred up. The eagle awakened its nest and its wings were spread out over it and it hoovered over it. So what commentators are suggesting and what the translators, the reason why they translate that differently is to set forth that idea that the Holy Spirit was there in creation and was hoovering over it, was moving upon it and helping to bring this creation that was formless into life and to give it purpose and to set it in direction. New life, new creation, new order. And the Holy Spirit was there. So I'm going to leave that. And I want you to just kind of hold those thoughts because as you think about Acts chapter 2 and you think about the church coming into being it should not be any surprise to us that the Holy Spirit would be there also I want you to turn if you would if you haven't already to Acts the second chapter and I want to read just a couple of verses there verse 2 then I'm going to skip down I'm going to read verse 4 Acts chapter 2 at verse 2. It says, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and it began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. There was a sound. There was a mighty rushing wind. People gathered, came and then they, holy the apostles, began to speak as the Spirit gave them utterance. The Spirit was there. Just like in the beginning of creation. He's there at the beginning of the church. As you read in that context also, and David read that for us this morning, 
It said that tongues of fire sat on each one, the apostles. And it kind of brings some thoughts to mind from the Old Testament. When God was sending Moses to deliver the children of Israel, he spoke from a burning bush. As the children of Israel came out of Egypt and they camped in the wilderness, There was a fire by night that was over the camp. And it signified the presence of God and that He was with them and He was guiding them and He was directing them. I believe it's in like manner that Luke wants us to see. There's the sound of a mighty rushing wind. Spirit moved. There are tongues of fire. God's presence is there. And then they spake as the Spirit gave them utterance. Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, is there at the birth of the church. So you think about that, and you think about the Holy Spirit in the beginning, and you think about the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 and in those beginnings. But now I want us to move beyond that and focus more on Acts chapter 2 and what's taking place there on that day of Pentecost. I'm going to skip down and I'm going to read verse 37 through verse 41. Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. This is Peter's message that has been delivered by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 37, those who heard what he had to say. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all those that are afar off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Even without a great deal of study in regards to the Holy Spirit, There are certain kind of topics, subjects, that people recognize and kind of tie with the Holy Spirit. One of those is creation, that the Spirit was there in the beginning. The other one is the day of Pentecost and the beginning of the church, and and people kind of recognize that. And then the other one is this right here. So there's creation, and there's Pentecost, and there's Revelation. And people tie the Spirit to that. They they understand that. But I want to suggest to you this morning, yes, those are important. (laughs) Great deal of importance. And you want to keep that in mind. But there's other things that we want to associate the Holy Spirit with also. Things like the Spirit bringing life. The Spirit building community. The Spirit 
helping us to understand how to love your neighbor. The Spirit helping us to understand how to live in peace and to love our enemy. To love your neighbor. To love your enemy. And as one commentator suggested, sometimes those are the same people. And isn't that true today? And so the Spirit teaches us about those things. But I want to suggest beyond creation, beyond Pentecost, beyond revelation. Sometimes when people think about the Holy Spirit, they automatically just associate the Spirit with things like healings and speaking in tongues and various other miracles and manifestations. And certainly we do see that in the New Testament. But what sometimes people don't understand about the Holy Spirit and those things is that that passed. And some people will say things, well, like if the Holy Spirit worked miracles then, He can work miracles now. And if the Holy Spirit caused people to speak in tongues then, He can cause people to speak in tongues now. Well, we're going to study that in our, one of our lessons coming up before long, the, the miraculous gifts of the Spirit. But I'm just going to say this in passing. Because sometimes people don't understand those miracles and what they were for and how that was part of a process. And that this was being brought into being and now we have this. And so we don't need those gifts anymore. So I would illustrate it like this. Go back to the beginning and you see the Holy Spirit involved there. And I would ask you this question. How many times did God have to say, let there be light? <laughs> How many times did God have to say, and let the waters be separated and let the dry ground come forth? How many times did God have to say, and let there be vegetation? How many times did He say, have to say, let the waters teem with those creatures that swim in the deep? How many times did he have to create man and woman in his image? One time. And that's what we need to understand. The Holy Spirit came at a certain time in miraculous ways for a certain reason and it brought this. God doesn't need to go back again and say, well, let there be light again. <laughs> i got to renew this. <laughs> Or separate the waters again. So we need to understand when the Holy Spirit worked those miracles and, and what the Holy Spirit did and that now we have this and that, that has passed. That manifestation is not necessary any longer. But then on the other hand, sometimes when you say, well, those miracles and those miraculous manifestations of the Spirit has passed, then people will take the pendulum and they'll shove it the other way. And they say, well, if we don't have miraculous signs of the Spirit anymore, then the Spirit's not doing anything. Well, that's not correct either. And so what I want to say is this. The Spirit still acts. And sometimes we think about the New Testament and we think about those kind of eye-popping 
type of manifestations? Well, it may not be as eye-popping, but I want to assure you, it's still just as impressive. We just need to understand it. The Spirit makes alive. The Spirit nurtures. The Spirit calls. The Spirit comforts. The Spirit guides. The Spirit cultivates fellowship. The Spirit instills hope. The Spirit offers forgiveness. All those things and other things too. The Spirit still does those things. But as we've been studying in our Wednesday night class, whenever we think about those things, what's the question that goes along with that? How? How? And that's what we need to think about. If we cut off ourselves or cut ourselves off from what the Spirit does, then we're cutting off some very important things for our life. Because when you think about forgiveness, and when you think about fellowship, and when you think about hope, those are things of our life. Those are things of my life. Those are things of your life. And those are things that the Spirit does for us. And sometimes, whenever we talk about the Spirit, sometimes people get a little nervous. I was talking to a brother, and he said, you're, you're studying the Holy Spirit? I said, yeah. He goes, I wouldn't spend too much time in that. <laughs> sometimes people get really nervous talking about the Spirit in those things. And what I want to suggest to you is it's revealed for us here in this Word. And if it's important enough for God to reveal it, it's important enough for us to study. We enjoy great blessings because of the Spirit. And we point to creation and we point to Pentecost and we celebrate the birth of the church. But I want to tell you this. The church cannot be the church without the Holy Spirit. Christians cannot be Christians without the Holy Spirit. And so we read from Acts the second chapter and we hear the mighty rushing wind and we see the tongues of fire and the apostles speaking in other language and to think about that and that taking place, that would be eye-popping. <laughs> and they marveled at what took place there on that day. But that impressive part, it was done for a very practical reason. God's message, the gospel, was there at the beginning, and He was calling sin-scattered people all over the earth back to Him. It got their attention. But it's that message that was of the utmost importance. Acts 2 and verse 4 it says, And they began to speak. I want you to get this. That's the apostles. And they began to speak as the Spirit gave them utterance. And as you read that context there, there was people from all over. 
and from various nations. And they spoke different languages. But the apostles spoke in languages that they understood. That's what was going to bring them together. I want you to think about that for just a moment. What was the Spirit doing? There was a mighty rushing wind. There were tongues of fire. And that got everybody's attention. And then the apostles began to speak as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they were able to speak in the languages of all those people. Don't you think that's pretty interesting? Let me give you this illustration from the Old Testament because I think this illustration from the Old Testament helps us to understand the significance of what was taking place there that day in Acts chapter 2. Do you remember Genesis 11? Do you remember the Tower of Babel? And do you remember men came together and they decided that they were going to build and yet God had told them to fill the earth? And they decided, mm, we're going to come together and we're going to build. What did God do? He confused their language. And what happened to their building project? It came to an end. And they were scattered. Isn't that amazing? And all of a sudden, here we are on the day of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit is delivering a message so that everybody can understand. Because you know what you do when you make communication possible? <laughs> you make relationships possible. You make building possible. We've got a common language. It's the message of the gospel. It's what's been revealed. Oh, it may be translated into different languages, but it's one message. <laughs> and that's what makes relationships possible with God. That's what makes relationships possible with each other. And that's what makes building together possible. So that's what the Spirit was doing there. It was bringing life. It was bringing community. It was nurturing communication and fellowship. And in verse 37, it says they were cut to the heart. Through that message, you know what the Spirit did? He took all the people... And now they recognized through this message we got a common problem. We got a common enemy. It's sin. We got a common Savior. Did you see that? Let me put it this way. Deuteronomy 32. I'll ask you this question. 
Do you think the eagle stirred the nest that day? I think he did. And what's interesting about this? I had this conversation with a brother here recently too. You know how we often, always, always extend the invitation? I'll do it again this morning. (laughs) Notice what takes place in Acts 2. Peter doesn't ask them to come forward. When they heard that message, you know what they did? They asked him. (laughs) What do we need to do? And so Peter tells them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the promise is made to you and to your children and to all those that are afar off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. By the Spirit. Calling. To new life. A new creation. A new community. And as Jesus talks about it in John 3. Born again. Born of the water and the Spirit. Isn't that interesting? Water was there in creation, wasn't it? And the Spirit moved. And it's there at the beginning of the church. And 3,000 responded and added were added that day. Spirit calling them to repentance, forgiveness, to life, to fellowship, extending a promise and saying it's not only for them, it's for all those who are far off. And so Peter promised those who were baptized would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now I want to clarify that a little bit. He's not promising that everybody who believes and responds and is baptized is going to all of a sudden receive the ability to work those miraculous signs. That's not what he's promising. That all of a sudden they're going to be able to speak in new languages or they're going to be able to heal the sick or they're going to be able to cast out demons. But I want to again suggest to you that what he was offering was not going to be eye-popping. But if you could see it, it's going to be eye-opening. It's not miraculous. But I'm telling you, it's marvelous. The gift, forgiveness, fellowship, togetherness, belonging, sharing, caring, growing, understanding, praising God together. It's amazing. In a world that is cold and calloused and harsh and lonely... To be together, to share, to care, to care, to support one another. That's amazing. And he brought them all together. 
people who just a day or two earlier were strangers. And now they're together. It's amazing. Look what happens in verse 42. Then those who gladly received His word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and the breaking bread and prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they sold their possessions and their goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Chapter 4, verse 32. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things that he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Isn't that amazing? And what happened? And the way they came together, and the Spirit gave them life, and made family out of strangers, and great grace was upon them all. God's grace, God's love, God's mercy, God's peace. You know, the Apostle Paul gives reference to that over in Ephesians, the fourth chapter. He said that they should strive to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And when he wrote to the churches of Galatia, He said, because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. It was the Spirit who broke down those barriers, gave them life, made them one. And Paul writes, and he wants them to embrace that entire concept. So the Spirit creates and the Spirit nurtures And He helps us to see others as a part of God's family. Over in Galatians, the fifth chapter, I'm not going to take time to read all this, but as you notice from Galatians 5, verse 19 through 26, Paul talks about the works of the flesh, and then he talks about the fruits of the Spirit. You want to know one of the reasons why he talks about the works of the flesh? Because the works of the flesh is the type of things that destroy people. The works of the flesh are the types of things that destroy community. That destroys fellowship. That tears people apart. But the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, those are the things that, kind of, that build people and build community. One writer put it this way. The fruit of the Spirit, it's the nuts and bolts that hold you together. It's the nuts and bolts that hold us together. I was reading another fellow and he said, you know, sometimes people want to avoid talking about the Spirit because 
He said, sometimes when you start to talk about the Spirit, he said, the conversation could get kind of weird. <clears throat> you ever had that happen? I want you to understand this. The Spirit works in us. The Spirit works among us. The Spirit works through us. And that's not weird. The Spirit will make you alive. The Spirit can make us a family. The Spirit can make us good. That's not weird. We just need to understand how the Spirit does that. Sometimes people are looking for that which is miraculous. I want to tell you this. The Spirit's work is more intimate. It's in you. It's personal. It's relational. It's every day. And it's the Spirit calling us from darkness to light. From sin to His Son. And His Son being formed in us. Guiding us. Nurturing us. Protecting us. Correcting us. Healing us. Holding us together. Once again, a Christian can't be a Christian without the Holy Spirit. And the church can't be the church without the Holy Spirit. So the third point. We should pray for the Spirit. In John the 6th chapter, in verse 63, Jesus said, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are Spirit and they are life. On our wall back there, John 6 and verse 45, And they shall all be taught of God. And everyone who has heard and learned, Jesus says, comes to me. But here's the point I want to add to that. The Spirit calls. And those words that Jesus says that He speaks are what profit us. But we still remain free will human beings. And thank you, Lauren, for your song this morning. That's based on, just before I got up here, that's based on Joshua 24 and verse 15, isn't it? Choose you this day whom you will serve. And that's what we need to understand. The Spirit reveals. The Spirit calls. The Spirit gives life. The Spirit will guide. The Spirit will protect. But we still have a choice. Will you listen and respond? That's what happened on the day of Pentecost. So He wants us to know. We can continue down that road of being self-centered and destructive and destroy ourselves and destroy community. Or you can respond to the Spirit. And the Spirit gives life. And He teaches us how to be restored spiritually, to be healed, and to build community. We have a common language. And the Spirit has revealed it. 
I want you to turn to Luke, the 11th chapter, and I'll, I'll finish up with this. The disciples wanted Jesus to teach them to pray. Notice what Jesus teaches them. Luke, the 11th chapter, beginning at verse 11. He says, If a son asks for bread from his father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish... Will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Can you see that? Over in Romans 8 chapter. Talked a little bit about this on Wednesday evening, about verse 26. It says, the Spirit helps with our weaknesses. For sometimes we know not how to pray. You know what the problem is? Sometimes we see a fish and we think it's a snake. Sometimes we see a snake and we think it's a fish. See, sometimes we're just not very spiritually discerning. And we need help. And so Jesus says when you pray, you know what you need to pray for? You need to pray for the Holy Spirit. And the Heavenly Father will give to those who ask. We just need to ask. So we can understand what's evil. So we can understand what's good. So we can understand what will heal us. What will help us to grow. And what will create and sustain community. Spirit does that. Fosters fellowship. Empowers us to do what is right. Holds us together. Living, loving, caring, sharing, forgiving, edifying one another. So many of God's blessings come to us through the Spirit. Peter said, I promise you, for all those who believe and are baptized, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, your Heavenly Father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. What we need to do is to ask because Christians can't be Christians without the Holy Spirit. And the church can't be the church without the Holy Spirit. God works through the Spirit in us. God works through the Spirit among us. God works through the Spirit through us. And we need to understand that. Deuteronomy chapter 32. As an eagle stirs up its nest and hoovers over its young and spreads its wings, so the Lord led Jacob. (laughs) He still wants to lead us today. That's the lesson on new beginnings. I want to extend the invitation as I hope to. (laughs) 
If we can help you in any way in making your relationship right with the Lord, we want to help. While together we stand and while we sing.